0: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the I Want to Be a Producer podcast, sponsored by Flying Penguin Graphics, audio production by Kieran Mimont. And here's your host, Curtis Brown. Hello everyone and welcome to I Want to Be a Producer, the podcast for emerging producers and creatives wanting to know how it all begins and how to get where they're going. My name is Curtis Brown, I am your host and I am joined by our South African audio engineer. Everyone's always so surprised when I say that, all our guests are. Uh, Kieran Niemont. Kieran, how are you, sir? Fantastic, and you, Mr. Brown? I am very good. You're always fantastic. Never Never a dull day for Kieran Niemont, is there? Never, never to hey, that's good a good mood, man. Yeah, I mean, honestly, during this year or during this last year and this year, I mean, we're still in it. But, my lord, yes, do we ever need to be in good moods? Uh, yes, just a works. reminder to everyone uh, to make sure you check the show notes uh, for all our guest socials, including our own. You know, we're starting to get a bit popular, man. We're starting to get a bit <laughs> popular. We're start. Well, you know, we're almost at a hundred now. We're almost at a hundred. Uh, but our guest today is super exciting. She co-founded one of the most off one the one of the most important off West End venues for music theater in the uk her insight on how being a casting director shaped her lens as a producer delegation for when you're busy her philosophy on choosing venues for her shows as well as i asked her if she checks social media before she casts uh, an actor checks the the actor's social media which i think is always an interesting an interesting conversation so we get into a little bit about that too all right kieran take it away Our guest today is a producer, casting director, and former actress who wore lots of denim jackets on television in the 1990s and early 2000s. She is a graduate of Guildhall School of Speech and Drama and went on to have a very successful television career that spanned for almost 10 years. Her credits as an actress include Dream Team, My Family, This Life, Bugs, and many other TV shows you can look up on IMDb because we won't have enough time to name them all. Furthermore, she is the co-founder of the Menier Chocolate Factory, which was one of the most important off-West venues for music theatre in the UK. And to no surprise, as a producer, she is a staple in the UK theatre scene. Some notable productions include Company, Parade, Mac and Mabel, Titanic, Dogfight, Grand Hotel, the UK premiere of Dave Malloy's Preludes, which was nominated for a What's On Stage Award for Best Off West End Production, and the UK professional premiere of Michelle Legrand's Armour, which was a winner of an Off West End Award for Best Musical in 2020. As a casting director, she has over 15 years experience and co-cast all in-house productions at the Manier Chocolate Factory from 2004 to 2006. She then went on to work with Jane Collings, casting hundreds of commercials, music videos, and short films. With Jane, she cast Teatro, the world's first musical. Theater supergroup, which signed to Sony BMG Music Entertainment and still performs worldwide. She was nominated for Producer of the Year at the Stage Awards in 2015. Was down to the top three to be Juliet and Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet and Hates Kids in Christmas, which is ironic because she's the best actress to ever play Mother Mary in the Nativity Play. Welcome to the I Want to Be a Producer Podcast, Danielle Torrento.
1: How the hell do you know so much about me? You know stuff about me that I don't even know
0: No, I've heard you say these things
1: That is the best introduction I have ever had to anything ever You have to now come and walk beside me And introduce me everywhere I go from this point on within my life
0: this is perfect. Okay, we're clipping that. That's the best promo clip I could have probably ever asked for. Seriously, it's so great. It's so great to have you on the podcast. I know we were just speaking before that we had run into you at Grand Hotel back in 2015 and it's just so crazy how full circle this industry and it's also how small this industry is because I'm in now Vancouver, Kieran our audio engineers in South Africa and now you're in London. Uh, so it's just this it's just this crazy little industry that we uh, that we work in, isn't
1: it? Sure. But do you know what listen this this last year has been hell for everyone but <sighs> If awful clouds have lovely, shiny silver linings, isn't this great that you can be in Vancouver, that Kieran can be in South Africa, that I can be here, and we can still talk to each other like we're old friends.
0: I know. It is so great. I feel very, very lucky. So we know you were the best Mary in Nativity, which needs to be added to your IMDb, by the way. I'm not sure who updates that, but it does need to be on there. You are the best. Um, So you had a very successful television career as an actress. Obviously, we all know that you do a lot of casting as well. So how exactly did you start getting into producing?
1: Um... I, I didn't mean to. I think I just, I, I had a, I had a really great uh, TV career, as you said, um, as an actor, but I became an actor because I loved the stage and I did very little on stage as an actor. And I think I was, the, the, the year that I decided to stop was the year I was just about to turn 30. I was in this long running soap that I was, every day was great, but the, the sort of, it didn't feed my soul in the way that playing Ophelia might have done or, you know, something like that. Right. And I just, I guess I had one of those moments of, can I imagine having this same conversation with myself when I'm about to turn 40 and how disappointed will I feel if that's the case? Um, So I just sort of thought when the end of this contract comes, I'm going to stop. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to move on without knowing what I was moving on to. I certainly didn't stop acting to become a producer. I didn't, I don't even think at the time I probably really knew what a theater producer did. All I knew was I wanted more control over my career. I wanted to be back in the theater. Um, And as a bit of a, anal retentive megalomaniac control freak. My phrase, no one else is allowed to use it. Um, <laughs> just, I think I just, I, I was craving con- control, not necessarily over just my career, but more control full stop. Um, and long story short, helped friend out with a couple of shows through a weird, circumvented way, ended up at the Chocolate Factory before it was mine, ours, and, right. and sort of fell into being a producer. There was a moment when I thought, oh, I think that's what a producer does. And, and we found the chocolate factory and then the rest is history. And I, we, we, I had no training. I had no idea what I was doing. I'm smart. I'm good with numbers. I'm good with people. I love theater. Everything else I learned on the job.
0: Wow. And you know, that's so funny because so many people tell, talk about how they like, just didn't know what the hell they were doing at the start. Cause they were like, no one taught us no. how to do that. There is no real schooling program. There is now, of course, I know that there's stage one and et cetera, et cetera, but there was really. No, there's no training for it. And I think the easiest way to do it is to just do it, isn't it?
1: Well, the, the, the way I say, when people say to me, how to become a producer? I say to produce by producing. Yeah. That's the only real way. You can sit in school and you can learn how to write spreadsheet. You do all that stuff. Great. That's theory. But the only way you know what it's like to be a producer is to produce something.
0: Yeah, I know. This, this, that's how I got into it. And my friend and I were sitting in a car, and I just said, "Man, you know what? I just want to produce something. I would just want to own something and be able to sell it and do whatever." And my friend was like, "Well, I want to direct." And I was like, "Well, we both have a mutual love for this thing, so why don't we just do it?" And that's how it started. And that's how the you know, it starts in a car, and then you're standing on the red carpet. And I deeply
1: believe, yeah, no, I mean, why not? Dream big. But I, I also, I worry myself about producers who start off in the industry with no background in the industry, just, just. Mm -hmm. and with lots and lots of money, like money is the key, the be all and end all, it's not. Money, right. money sure as hell makes productions ha- happen and makes them work. But I think right. if that's all you've got to rely on, the magic goes.
0: Right. You know, I've heard you speak about the four things that a producer needs to be good at, and I'm going to list them all right now for our listeners. So one is to know how to use Excel. Two is to have some sense of the zeitgeist. Three is to be bloody good with people. And four is to know rich people. And the one that intrigues me the most is that fourth rule. And I think it's the thing that stops people from getting things done, which is the money side, of course. So how the hell did you start raising money at the start? Did you just happen to know a lot of rich people?
1: Um Listen, the, the, the question I get asked most as a, when, I'm, when I'm mentoring producers is, you know, where do you get your money from? And the answer is, I'm not telling you, because we are so fiercely protective of our investors. And, you know, you sometimes go at press nights and you see these groups of men in suits and you think, oh, yes, they belong to some. I know who they are. And they belong. But we're not allowed to talk to them because, heaven forbid, we might be seen to be poaching them. Right, um, right. Yeah, when I started, I just—I mean, I think I think if you're unless you're starting immediately at the top, straight into West End or Broadway producing, if you're starting smaller and, and doing it on a small scale, the, uh, investment becomes about philanthropy more than it becomes about making money. So I think yes. investing in supporting the arts, they're investing in the person more than the show necessarily. And I I was just very lucky that I I was introduced to a couple of people who may I say are still with me to this day. Um, they right. still do my shows to this day. The time you know you've made it, I think, as a producer. I mean, there's many little signposts, but one is when you get an email from someone saying, uh, "Dear Mr. Torento, I have thoroughly enjoyed your work and would be very interested in investing in the future projects you have." So when people offer you money, you grab it with both hands and say, "Yes, please, thank you." Um,
0: and and why do you think? And why? Just out of curiosity, why do you think they invest in a Danielle Torento production?
1: Have you seen them?
0: Yeah, <laughs> I have. I saw the Grand Hotel. Um,
1: I have, and it was
0: great. Scott Gardam, what a voice! What a it's voice. like A wall of it's like wall of sound walking right by you. Simon Bailey, very similar.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, but no, seriously, I think because I've made my name for those people of you who are listening who don't know who I am. I've made my name by taking really big, sort of shiny Broadway productions and de Broadwayifying them, taking mm-hmm. all the sort of stuff and just putting a pin spot on the truth and the storytelling and 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 focusing in on what the what the, the core message of it is the actual heart of it, um, right? Which, in really basic terms, means that they're a lot cheaper than the Broadway version. Therefore, you're much more like they're less risk. And I think people um, have invested in something that isn't doesn't seem quite so terrifying as some other productions that they might have investment packs for. But I think as as time has gone on, you know, um, I've been lucky. I've been successful. I've done, you know, I've done all right. And I, and up until I mean, there's look, no one has a hundred percent track record. But most of my shows are paid back. So that breeds, um, a trust and a security and you know, if you, if, if someone get, gets their money back, they're more likely to give it back to you for the next one.
0: Yeah standard, right? Yeah, of course. If someone's giving you a hundred grand and they get their hundred grand back or they get more than their hundred grand, of course, you're going to want to give back your money. Yeah. So when you're looking at a financial model, is there a certain percentage you want to look you're like that you look at for like recruitment? So if like breaking even is at 85 to 90%, that's pretty much a guarantee that you're not putting on that show because everyone is basically losing money because you, you know, not everything can be gray gardens, yeah. right? Like it's just, exactly. it's just not going to be like that. Right. So, so do you have a percentage that you want to aim for when you're starting that Excel spreadsheet?
1: Yeah, sure. So, so when you're doing a, a, an off West End show or, or a, a show that has a finite run, mm-hmm. I I actually do I, I do the numbers backwards. So, for instance, if you're doing something in the West End, you go, "This is how much the show is going to cost." Therefore, how long will it take to pay back? Right. You can't do that when you've only got six weeks of run. So, what I do is though is I, I work backwards. So, it's it's what is my gross box office? Well, I've taken off fees, VAT, all the tax and bullshit. What I left with? And what is percent of that? And that then becomes the budget.
0: Right. Okay. See, that's a very good way of doing in it. In that way of doing way. it,
1: we know that we're being we're being true to the we're being true to the space. I'm a big believer that shows tell you where they live. And if a show can't make it it's money back, maybe it's in the wrong space. Or if a show is going to make it its money back ten times over, maybe it's in the wrong space. Right. Um, so so that 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 is and that's a really back of a fag packet way of doing it, but that, that's a basic way of, of saying. I believe we have a potential to make up to, to, to recoup.
0: Right. And so I want to know, cause you're, you're obviously into your, your casting director as well. So how has being a casting director shaped your lens as a producer?
1: Um, well, I don't have to have a fight with the producer. <laughs>
0: yeah. That was my next question, by or, the way. Or
1: more, <laughs> more to the point, the producer doesn't have to ever fire the casting director because she's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think, I mean, so I, again, I never intended, well, the Chocolate Factory, because we started off small, it was, ju- it was just a very small handful of stuff. We did everything ourselves because right. it was cheaper that way. And it was just the easiest way to, you know. Um, and we learned as we went along very quickly, who, who what we were good at. Um, and I had an affinity with casting. And then when I left the Chocolate Factory, a friend of mine who was a casting director, Jane Collins, you mentioned her in the intro. She just mm-hmm. had her second baby. And she asked me just to go in and help for a bit. And I ended up staying for a year and a half because I have never laughed so much on a daily basis as I did working with my dear friend. Um, But I learned loads about casting from that. We we mainly cast uh, commercials, short films, music idents. So it was a very different world than the the theatrical world that I find myself in now. But I learned so much about the legal stuff of casting. You know, things right. like child licensing laws and, right. and buyouts and TVRs and all those sorts of things that you don't really think about, but actually contractually, they're really important stuff to know. Mm. Uh, so I think, so in that sense, it's it's, it's made me, I'm, I'm much more knowledgeable about a broader range of casting. That's really great. Um, but I think as a producer, how it shaped me is I, I now, I read really, because I know so many actors, because I, my, part of my job is to cast I'm, I read scripts when I'm thinking about producing shows, I read them in a very different way. I read them with immediately voices in my head. Um, right. And, and I think the other thing, I say this to actors a lot, especially as graduating actors, one thing to bear in mind is casting directors don't cast shows. Casting directors put a, create an amazing list of people to put in front of producers and directors who cast shows. Right. So the casting director is vital if you're going to get in the room, but at the, at the end of the day, they don't make the final decision. Um, So, but I just think, you know, I have a, I have a much clearer vision of who it might be at the outset because I'm a casting director as well.
0: Yeah. See, I guess it's, it's the one who, the one who's forking out all the cash is the guy who's making the decision at the end. I mean, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you want, I mean, if the director wants a yellow hat or whatever, and you go, well, no, wait, I want a green hat. That's going to be a green hat. But obviously you hire the director because you're like, well, I trust your vision. And usually it would be, it would be Absolutely. that way. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I figured you,
1: so. You've hit the nail on the head. The times that you worry is when you have a fight with the director or when your artistic vision is sort of diverging because right. the biggest question is number one, why is it and who's going to win? But number two, why are we in, why are we, di- we producing the same show if we're not on the same page?
0: Well, that's right. Exactly. At
1: what point was the mistake made?
0: Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's exactly at one point was the yes. mistake made. Now, I've heard you say in an interview with Dark Unicorn Productions that you've never understood what a creative producer is because, and I quote, what is someone who isn't a creative producer if they aren't a producer? So my question to you is, how much creative input should a producer have?
1: A hundred percent and none.
0: Hmm.
1: In equal He's- measure. I think right. basically when the production starts, so when you know when I when I get a, a get the rights to a show, and I start, I mean even well, even before I get the rights, even when I'm thinking about getting the rights to the show, I have got in my head an idea of what it's going to be, my version right. of it. Um, I then choose, you know then when I choose, when I choose a director to direct that is because they have a similar vision to me or because I believe that they will be on the same page. They then start creating a vision. I have no interest in doing someone's job for them. Number one, because I have what, what am I paying them for? But number two, also, that's not my job. And we have amazing creatives in the world. Why would I want to step on their toes? I often say when I'm talking about graphic design, I, I try very hard never to say to the graphic designer, I want it to look like this, because then what they will do is brilliantly design what I've told them to design. What I'd rather do is give them 10 buzzwords and then let them come up with what they they think that means to them, because they're going to come up with something far more interesting than I am. You right. You don't want to cloud, thought,
0: cloud their vision.
1: Yeah, ex- exactly. Because the minute you tell, you know, the minute I say green, blue will disappear forever and it will only ever be green. But what happens if blue is better? And we'll never know.
0: It's always about the better choice. It's always about the better choice. The better choice always wins. I live by that forever. And that's in anything that I do as well. I'm always like, if anyone has anything to say, just say it because it could be the better thing at the end of the day. And that's what uh, ultimately we're all here for this product. And the product is what's going to pay everyone more. So let's just try and get it to be the right thing. So I guess like a producer is almost like a producer's almost like a creative person who's not really noted as a creative. Then would you say that?
1: Yeah, I mean, apart from the fact that I think, I mean, I think a producer is creative in the very nature of the fact that they've, they've had the idea. Therefore, yes,
0: yes, they, yes. They,
1: they have created the creatives, I suppose. If
0: yeah. You know? yeah, that's that's like a weird way to think of it, but um, you're right, actually. They are the that master. What...
1: They are the puppet master. They, you know, yes, I don't. I don't right. Now I'm coming back to the megalomania that we talked about earlier. That sounds <laughs> well, I don't mean that. But, <laughs> I, but no, I mean of course. So I think going back to the the the, the sort of mini quote that you were, were talking about, I don't understand the difference. With, People, there's this new title which is called creative producer which basically mm-hmm. is a producer who doesn't raise money now that's fine but the, but the idea that then a, a non a, a producer who does not call the creative producer isn't creative seems weird to me i think that's the point i was trying to make
0: yes yeah 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 and, and that, that makes that makes more sense, sense to me yeah.
1: and okay. also a financial producer you know and remember let's also bear in mind that it's very different the way we look at it in this country than we do on broadway you know, when you look at a Broadway poster, and there's four hundred names above the title. Anyone yeah. who's written a check is a producer. But you love reading when you read, you know, oh Tony Award winning Mr. Brown. It's like, no, Mr. Brown didn't win a Tony. Mr. Brown wrote a check, which went to it awards of production. The one said, but good on Mr. Brown for winning that. That's great. But thank you, thank you. You know, when we do it over here, you do not see two hundred people get up on stage to collect the Olivier. It's the- No,
0: I know on on the, on the on the Tony awards it's like 12 like 12 to like 15 20 people and you're like wait what the hell happened but then there's yeah. only two that speak and then they're like you know it's this whole thing but that's fine um hey. What I wanted to say to you is is I read in an article on the stage that you said, I've never learned to delegate because you just mentioned this. So I've never learned to delegate, but part of being a good producer is to hire the right people. There's no point in doing other people's jobs for them. So I'm good at leaving them to do so, but I'm not good at leaving other people to do my job. So what should you delegate as a producer and what should you not delegate? Is there, is, there, is there certain things that you're like, mm, the producer should be doing this, like the lead producer should be doing this and then that you bring in other people to delegate other tasks? Like, is there a certain I, I, thing?
1: Yeah, I, I think that has to. Be, that's a person-to-person question. I don't think I could answer it for other people. Um, right. You know, for instance, if you're Sonia Friedman, if she doesn't delegate, she'd go literally, her mind would explode because yeah, it's, yeah. living in five continents in one time. So yeah. it depends on the work that you do, the, the, the scale of the work, the, the number of projects you've got on the go, the size of your company. Um, and, and I think each individual, I mean, I think, you know, somebody who is a line producer at one production company might do a different job than somebody who's a line producer at a different company just because companies is, is, will be created and will be molded around the, indiv- the, the, the head of the company's vision and the way the staff work. So I don't I don't really think I can answer that as a, this is the way it should be.
0: Yeah, that's right, I guess, because everyone's deck of cards is different. We were just talking about this on our previous yeah. episode. Everyone does it yeah. differently.
1: And I don't Always said I will. The only time I'm going to hire staff is when I have to turn down something I can't that I want to do because I haven't got the time.
0: That's a good way of doing it. Actually, good way of thinking of it. Yeah. All right. So I've heard you talk a lot about theaters and spaces and how important it is for that that the venue is production or that the venue is correct for the production you're doing. We've already we've already spoken about that already slightly a little bit in this podcast. So I wanted to expand. Is that? Can you tell our listeners a bit about your philosophy on theater venues and how you choose them for your production?
1: Yeah. Um, so, as a ge- huge generalisation, I tend to work in smaller spaces. Um, that's not the case. I've, I've played, you know, Titanic has toured to some of the biggest theatres in the world. So the Mervish, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And we, and may I say, while we're here, that the Mervish are the best company in the frigging world.
0: Yeah, they're uh, very good every people.
1: Single human being who works there, um, and and a couple of them have become incredibly close friends of mine, even though I was only there for six weeks. So wow, uh,
0: that's so wonderful! I'm so yeah. glad you got to see Toronto and spend time there.
1: Yeah, it was. Yeah, I, 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 desperate to go, desperate to come back again. So if, if, yeah. if you're listening, Brian, when we do another show together, there we go. Well, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> moving on the chart. Yeah, maybe he's not listening to this. I don't know. Um,
0: uh, we're very popular in India, may I say? So oh, uh, if Brian's I, vacationing right now in India.
1: <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um. Oh God, what was the question? Uh, just um, to-
0: just about uh, theater <laughs> yeah. spaces and and how your philosophy is. <laughs>
1: That's the one. Um, <laughs> yeah, So, I, so I, I have, I suppose my, I have made my name by do it, by taking big shows and putting them in small places by sort of you know, stripping away the Broadway and just, just, you know, um, finding a, finding the truth of them. And I don't believe that you create that by throwing money in whatever form at it. You know, I don't mm-hmm. think money does not make the truth. It helps and it can enhance, but it doesn't make it um therefore a lot of the work that I'm looking at has been in smaller spaces and when I say small spaces some of them can be the smallest show I've ever done we did the the European premiere of the Grand Tour a a, a lesser known Jerry Herman musical and if you don't know it and like Jerry Herman go and listen to it because it's some of his most beautiful work it's a travesty that's not known um and we did that in a 45 seat theater
0: wow small
1: yeah I mean ridiculously small um and then, we, and then, but the, the theatre that I've worked with worked at the most is a theatre called Southwark Playhouse, which is in London, which is a 200, 250-ish seat, depending on configuration. Um, and what I love about it is uh, you can move the seats into any configuration, so you can do thrust and then you can do a traverse and then you can do a proscenium and then you can do anything with it in the round. Um, it's a really great space. It's an incredible space. What I also love about it is, so because of its scale, you, it's intimate because you're never more than six rows away from the action in any configuration but it's also epic because it's got these enormously high ceilings. So you can put a show like Titanic, which should be in a small space in it because it feels vast. You Mm -hmm. can put Grand Hotel in there because it feels opulent, but you can also put Dogfight in there because it feels tiny.
0: Correct. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh,
1: So, uh, so yeah, so it's, uh, so it's incredible. but I, I truly believe, that a, that a show tells you where it lives. So when I'm reading it, I know what I'm, and, so, and not every show, you know, South Playhouse might be my favorite theatre, but not every show belongs there. Um, so it's about just just really getting under the skin of it and, and understanding the bones of a piece and the beat mm. part of it. I, you know, it's a lot of sort of biological references, but, but I think it is a living thing and it does feel sentient and present and alive and 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 it it, it should be listened to.
0: And will you delay, because because I know a lot of it, a lot of the problems with the theaters is that it's time availability, isn't it? So that's like a huge issue. So will you delay a production being like, no, I know the space is right. I have to get it in there. Even though it's 24 months and we were planning it to do it in 12, I will delay it because I think this will
1: make it better. Yeah, absolutely. In the same way that, you know, if you if a piece had been written for a certain actress and then they weren't available, would you carry on with somebody else just because or would you wait?
0: Yeah, you wait. You wait. It's,
1: it's the same. It, it's. I think it's another ingredient that's of of importance.
0: Mm, I really like that. So I want to play a little game. It's called Radio Play, where we get to know you, Danielle Torrento, the person rather than you, Danielle Torrento, the producer. You ready?
1: Uh, is, is it fast? And do I win a prize?
0: No prize. It's fast, sort of, depending on how quick you answer the questions. But it's a ton of fun, and there's great music behind it. Okay, go. Okay. What time do you wake up in the morning?
1: Uh, eight thirty.
0: Favorite lyric from a music theater song?
1: You Are Not Alone.
0: Oh, that's so wonderful. Current favorite song?
1: Um, well, I'm about to pro- to direct a production of Hair. So at the moment, anything from Hair because I'm listening to it all the time.
0: Uh, unlimited budget, what show are you producing?
1: Uh, it's got nothing to do with money, but the answer is nine.
0: Uh, most famous person you've ever met?
1: Oh God, now I can't, now I've just, in my head I've never met anyone ever. Um, It's probably not, but sometime because why not?
0: Ugh, that's the third person in a row that said that, and I'm, like, dying to meet this man. but he just turned 91. I'm like, my time is (laughs) running out. My time is running out. Uh, Okay, um, let's see here. What was the last gift you gave someone?
1: Um, My mother, um, for her birthday, which was a week ago, I gave a subscription to a gin club. She gets a delivery of of, of gin and stuff to go with gin uh, four times a year.
0: I love gin. It tastes like a Christmas tree, I, even though you hate Christmas. Okay. What advice would you give your previous boss?
1: Um, I've never had a boss because I'm completely and utterly unemployable.
0: Sign your own checks. That's the way Hell to do it. yes. Okay. Um, if you could compare yourself to an animal, what would it be?
1: Um, some sort of big cat.
0: You find a million dollars in a backpack. Do you turn it in or keep it?
1: What that.
0: <laughs> when did you... Oh, my God. I love that answer. Uh, strangest place you've fallen asleep.
1: Um, doesn't happen very often, but I guess, I guess public transport.
0: Yeah, it's happened to me before too. Yeah. Um, if you could visit any planet, which would it be?
1: Oh, um, one that I don't know that exists yet. Somewhere in a different galaxy.
0: Oh, lovely. Uh, be able to fly or be invisible? Fly. Salty or sweet?
1: Salty, 100%, no question.
0: Although if we're talking popcorn, I like to mix them both up. That's Well,
1: then you're an idiot, so, you know, we can't help
0: Fantastic, all right. Uh, Do you believe in luck? Yes. What would you like to be known for?
1: Uh, I've always said my tombstone. I wanted to say I made good companies, not good shows.
0: Favorite actor or actress?
1: Uh, Jenna Russell at the moment.
0: She's so great. Um, When did you first feel like an adult?
1: Oh my God, I don't, or I still don't.
0: Do ghosts exist? No. Uh, Do aliens exist? Yes. Who was your role model as a child?
1: Uh, my primary school teacher who gave me the love of, of drama. And without her, I don't know if I'd be sitting in this chair talking not you know?
0: Should award shows exist? Yes. Last question. If you were given the opportunity to fly into space given today's technology, would you do it?
1: Yeah. Why not?
0: That's Radio play. Wow. I love those answers. Those are honest answers. See, it was fun, wasn't it?
1: It was fun. It was fun. It's it, it's normally things like when people say, "What's your favorite food?" And you go, "Oh my god, now I can't remember if I've ever eaten anything in my life." They were good questions. <laughs> yeah. They weren't, yeah, banal. Right. I love it.
0: Right. Good. 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 Okay. So you mentioned on the Industry Minds podcast that your epitaph will read, "She made good companies, not that she made good codes." So, as a producer, is that really the heart of the job? If you create a good co- company, that the the show will be good. It comes with it.
1: Um. I don't, I think you can guarantee that a show will be, I, mean, I think the show will be good. I don't think you, you can't guarantee that it will be successful, but right. I almost guarantee it won't be good or successful if you don't have a good company.
0: Right. And because you're in casting, and I know that you, you you know, you probably just call in, as you say, you read scripts and you already have people in mind, yada, yada, yada. Do you check on an actor's social media before you cast them?
1: No. I suppose I should. There have been some things that have happened um,
0: oh, that's right with the,
1: yeah, yeah I do know that. Um, I do know that. Which you makes you wonder whether you should. But honestly, that feels to me that feels way too intrusive. And that you know, there's been lots of conversation recently about, you know, should we ask people sexuality? if you know should we ask people's religion, if we're if we're being positive about something, so should only gay people play gay roles? Well, that means we have to ask if you're gay. Is that an intrusion? Should, right. should, should not be actors. I just think there's a line that needs to be drawn that people are allowed a life outside. However, what I do, do tend to do is ask opinions. So, if someone on us, if, if on their CV, they've worked with someone I know, I will ask how they were.
0: Yeah, that seems to be like the standard, like it's that. It's a
1: reference, isn't it? Like you would do in any job.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's exactly it. Yeah, I know there is this weird stigma that everyone's like, watch what you post on social media. And it's like, yeah, I agree. But like to an extent, I also want to like live my life as well. Not that I'm like posting crazy shit on my social media anyway. Great. Go check it out. Um, okay. (laughs) Um, and I know you don't like talking about the menier chocolate factory too much because it's changed a lot since you've been there, but you were a founder and I'm curious to know how the hell does that start? Like what's the process of that? Like what comes first? Is it just walking into a building? I know you guys had a great deal that there was no rent or something involved. So maybe you can just touch on that.
1: We just, so, um, we found the. I found the venue when we were just looking for somewhere to hire, to do a show. And, uh, Talk about luck. (laughs) Literally. Yeah. Didn't even know it was there. Stumbled upon it, had a look at it. And I remember walking through the door and thinking I never want to leave the space. It was visceral. It was a physical reaction, um, that I've never felt before. And I maybe never feel again. It was just amazing. Um, and then I met David Babani, my co-producing partner, co-founder of the venue separately, And at the end of that show, that's one show we'd gone in there for four weeks, the owner said, how about doing more? And that turned into a a lease and that turned into, but in terms of how did we start? I remember that first week we sat on the floor. We didn't have any desks. We ate pizza off the floor. We had a couple of computers and we just put a team together and we, we'd opened our first show in a month, month, shall I have a month? And we had a transfer in six months first West End transfer within
0: six months. Holy shit, eh? That, that's that's like, talk about the success rate. You're like, one for one, everyone, yeah. one for one. And it's yeah. carried over. Is, is that is that a stressful process, transferring something over to the West End? Is that like a whole other different thing as a producer? I guess it's- Yeah,
1: And I, I mean, it's well, it certainly was then, having never done it before.
0: Well, that's right, that's right. Yeah. Like, I, as doing it for the first time, I guess, is where although, I'm asking.
1: Although I, I guess there is an element of, if you've never done it before, you've no idea how bad it could be, so you just do it anyway. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Actually, yeah, you just kind of get on with it, and you just make choices, and yeah. the choices, either the choice is the choice, right? Well, Danielle. Hopefully we catch each other at another musical, one of your shows, um, as we did, as we did at the Grand Hotel back in 2015. God, six years later. What a great show that was. Um, I'm plugging in a show that's like ended six <laughs> years ago. Um, but seriously, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I, I can't thank you enough. It's been such a joy to talk to you. As I say, it's like talking up with an old, ch- chatting up with an old friend. It's like, you know, it, it's, <laughs> we, it's, it's so lucky.
1: Thank you for having me. It's been genuinely fun and I hope it's been um, useful for your listeners.
0: Oh, it always will be. I know it will be. Okay, great. Well, we'll speak to you soon.
1: Take care. Bye. Bye. This has been a Brown Stub production.